Okay, fantastic. If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 11. And um, as you're doing that, I'd like to ask that you uh, take a second and take a big, deep breath through your nose. Do you know what you smell? You smell barbecue. And the reason you smell barbecue is because I was up early this morning smoking Boston butts for our youth group tonight. And so if you're here and you're thinking, should I go to youth tonight? The answer is yes, you should, because you will eat some of the best Boston butt you've ever had. But you never know, because I'm not there right now. It could be crispy. could be chewy. We'll see. Uh, judges chapter 11. So there are 12 judges. Jephthah is the eighth. And what, what is remarkable about the judges is, look, they're not all clean and they're not all put together, right? And their lives are dirty. And interesting thing is, the, dirt, the further you go into this, the book, the dirtier they get. And yet, at the same time, yet through the Holy Spirit, God uses them in extraordinary ways. That, that's Jephthah. He's, he's born to a prostitute. He's got a, a city in Gilead full of half-brothers, and they don't like him. They want all the inheritance of their father, Gilead, to themselves. So they drive him out. He goes out in the wilderness, and he, he becomes a, essentially a pirate with a, a group of scallywags and a little bit of a warrior out there. And, and at the same time, while he's out there, his people, God draws his people to real repentance. And so they're going to face, they've been enslaved, I believe it's 18 years, uh, by the Ammonites who are a cruel lot. And so finally they're going to go face them. And then they realize, wait a second, we've been slaves for 18 years. There are no generals here. There are no warriors. Well, I know where one is. His name's Jephthah. Let's go get him. And so the elders go out to the wilderness and, and they offer him the governorship and the general position. And he agrees and he takes all that authority and says he'll come back. Now, when he comes back, he sees what's in front of him until I think he draws a little, a little fear from it, and he wants to bind God to himself. He wants to ensure that God is with me. God, I've got his favor. And so he makes a horrific vow a vow that's unnecessary, unbiblical, and it costs him everything. And I want to ask you, when, when you face difficult situations, how do you know that God is with you? Let's read our text. We're going to start at verse 29, and we're going to read down a piece. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah to Gilead. From Mizpah to Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, take note of this, please. If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from, how do you pronounce that? Come on. 
Okay, that was good. <laughs> to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities and as far as Abel Karamim. With the great blows, so the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. And then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. And you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity and I and my companions. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, the foolishness of man when we get away from your word, when we want to take things into our own hands, we want to ensure that you are with us and we look past the promise and the truths of Scripture. Oh, Father, teach us now, apply this to our text and let us see the sacrifice that you have given us as sufficient. The Spirit as the deposit and the certainty that you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, believers often face hurdles or challenges in our life, and, and during those times, we want to be sure that God is for us, right? And so sometimes we can try to make a sacrifice or negotiate in an effort to convince ourselves that God is bound to me in this situation. Tim Kesey tells a story in his, his group of missionary biographies that he was walking in Asia with his um, translator slash mission friend. And he said, I, I noticed that there was a woman and her son and they were taking live fish and they were dumping them alive back into the river. And he thought, well, that's, that's very curious. And so he asked Mei Li, his translator, to explain this ritual, what was going on. And she said this, I'll just read it to you. She said, Buddhists will spend large sums of money at the fish market to rescue fish caught that morning and return them to the river. Now, while I'm sure the fish are very happy about the arrangement, it's not really about them. The, the amount spent 
And the fish being offered back into the river is like money in the bank of heaven for them. Righteous credit, which will help this woman when she dies to move up the ladder in and through reincarnation. And so notice they they offered fish back to ensure favor, to bind their God to them, to make sure they had credit. That's what Jephthah's doing. In in Judges 11, we see Jephthah, he's preparing for the battle of his life. He's going from being a pirate leader to the general of the Jewish army. And the text says he is filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that God is upon him, God's favor. And yet, at the same time, he feels the need to make a deal with God. And so he says, look, if you give me victory, I'll offer you the first thing that comes out of my doors when I get home. The Christian who has closed their eyes to the gospel message forgets very easily that they have God's favor because it's been sealed upon your life with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they're always trying to bind God to themselves through their own works and efforts, rather than believing that the Spirit is God's promise to every one of His children that He is bound to you. I am bound to you. My favor is upon you. Because you have Jesus, His Son. The sacrifice believers offer then is surrender. Right? For many Christians, though, it's, it's, it's more than that. Now, I find in the local church, often it affects how we see worship. So the, the worship can be about negotiating with God, right? That I, I will give what, him, what He wants. Well, He wants me to worship. In other words, I'll, I'll put some fish back into the water. So uh, I will manipulate God with technique. I'm going to win His favor. I'm going to pray and worship. I'm going to maybe hold my hands up in the air and worship. I'm going, to, I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to attend Sunday school and worship. All those things often in the Christian mind is now God is bound to me. Now I know he's for me this week. I know I'm going to get that contract. And that's why you often hear believers say things like this. I can't believe that Cindy has cancer. She's such a good Christian. Which is really saying what they mean is she has done so much for God, he should be bound. He should be bound to give her an easy life. She's put so many fish back into the water. Certainly he's bound to do good for her now. My friends, God is not looking for negotiations from His people. He's looking for trust and surrender. We we can't make deals with God because we don't have anything to offer. (laughs) The only thing that we give God for our salvation is our sin. That's it. Think about that. The only thing that you give God for your salvation is your sin. He accomplished it. Our whole lives then are to be a response of worship Embracing the Spirit, trust, surrender, not to bind God to ourselves, 
but because in the sacrifice of Christ and through your faith, he has already bound himself to you to be your father. And the Holy Spirit is the seal and the mark of that. And so I'm going to steal a line from Richard Pratt last week, and our main idea is just this. Bad theology leads to pain. Bad theology leads to pain. Now, there's two things we want to see here. Let's start with a sacrifice promised. Look in your Bibles with me at verse 29 through 31. And I just, I just want to look again at verse 30. Look what he says. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Jephthah's deal with the elders is finished. He's the governor. He's the general. He holds all the cards now. And then what we didn't read was he went to the Ammonites and tried to essentially negotiate with them. They say no. So now he's ready for battle. He heads to battle. Verse 29. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Notice that. Here is God's promise that he is with Jephthah. Here is God's promise that he's going to deliver the Jews from their enemies. But that was not enough for Jephthah. So verse 30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. In other words, he sees the Ammonites, I think, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, or begins to think about them, and he's not sure, is God really going to be with me? Maybe he's thinking, I'm the son of a prostitute. I'm an outcast. And Gileadite turns, I'm a half-blood. So I better make sure that God's with me. So he makes a vow. What does he vow? A human sacrifice in exchange for victory. Now, obviously what he expected was not his daughter. What he expected was a servant to come out of his home. And then he'd have to break the bad news to Chuck or Cindy or whatever it was. Listen, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to sacrifice you. Come with me. But his daughter walked out. And you say, Rusty, but wasn't he expecting an animal to walk out? Absolutely not. They didn't keep animals in their home. And animals didn't certainly come out to greet you when you rode up. He was expecting a person. It's a, it's a human sacrifice that he vows to make as a burnt offering. Now, why would he do that? Well, bad theology leads to pain. That's why. Deuteronomy 12, somewhere around verse 30 and 31, says human sacrifice is detestable to God. God hates it. But in antiquity, in those days, in those nations that were not Jewish and didn't have the Scriptures, when the king went to battle and the battle went poorly to bring God into his favor, the kings would often offer and sacrifice one of their children. It's a known fact. So under great pressure here, he adopts the theology and the beliefs of the nations rather than his God. Jephthah makes the vow to get the help that he already had from the Spirit of the Lord. Years ago, there was a retired military man that started coming to our church. And, you know, you think about military, and they're high and tight, right? High and tight on the sides. Not, not party in the back, but high and tight. 
And this guy was party all around. He came way down here, and, and he was great. And I was getting to know him a little bit, and one day we went for a walk, and we're, we're walking the trails, and out of nowhere he says to me, I took a Nazarite vow. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, you did what? And he said, I took a Nazarite vow. I want to be like Samson. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. So I took a vow never to cut my hair. Well, see, a Nazarite vow, according to number six, is it's often families that would offer their children in the service of the Lord and the, the, to show that they were in the service of the Lord. They didn't cut their hair, nor did they drink alcohol. And my friend, being zealous, military, high and tight guy, took a Nazarite vow as a young Christian. And he said, it was stupid, but now I'm bound to grow my hair out the rest of my life. I didn't know what to say. I still don't know what to say. But like Dr. Pratt said last Sunday, bad theology leads to pain, even hair pain when it gets down to here. Does God still require sacrifice from you? Well, yes and no. Okay, listen. Romans 12.1. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world. For every believer, God requires a sacrifice of surrender of your body, your life, set apart to live a holy life, to be like Him in the world. And we do it not to bind God to us, not to save us, but it's part of our worship. In other words, it's part of how we respond because of the great sacrifice and what He's done for us. Because He's bound Himself to us, we worship Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, body, strength. All of it is the Lord. So yes, in one sense there is a sacrifice. It's me. I'm sacrificed. My life is His now. It's His. The only thing we give God for salvation is our sin. He has provided the sacrifice through His Son. This sacrifice is full of value because it was God Himself on the throne who came down and died on the cross. This sacrifice is full of value, therefore. We know this sacrifice was accepted because of the resurrection. And Jephthah thought he needed to have a sacrifice to move God to action and salvation. But the Spirit given was the promise of God's presence and power with him. He wants to bind God to him through his efforts rather than embrace the Spirit in faith. God gave to him freely. Now he's trying to earn that grace. And I want to tell you, the Spirit is the operation of all grace in your life. And the Spirit is God's mark and seal in your life of His acceptance, His presence, His participation with you. That you are in Christ. And therefore, we, we don't need any sacrifice to try to earn His favor. 
Here's the second thing. A, a Christian sacrifice is surrender. Let's move from a painful vow to the second thing is a sacrifice made or a sacrifice promised to a sacrifice made. Look at verse 34 with me in your Bibles, please. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. He comes home from the battle. He expects a servant to greet him. He expects to have some bad news for his servant. But his daughter heard about the victory, and she comes out with tambourines playing, dancing because she wants to celebrate what God has done and what he's done through her father. Notice what it says. She was his only child. In the Hebrew, that's emphasized. It's almost like saying she was his only, only, only child. And there's a reason for that. It means he has no more offspring. And therefore, all that he has, all that he's acquired now, when he dies, who's it going to go to? It's going to go to those half-brothers those scallywags that drove him out of town. And now everything that he has is going to go back to them because he has no child. In other words, his vow has cost him everything. Verse 35, I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. He's made a sinful vow against God's will and law and he refuses to take it back. Now, if that was you or me, we would run for the hills, right? We would, we would go to a different town. We would go do something different, maybe. Notice what she does, verse 36. Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companion. She surrenders to her father's will even though it's a wicked vow. She takes two months with her friends and she weeps for her virginity, which means she weeps that she's not ever going to get married. She weeps that she's never going to have a child on her knee. She weeps that all her dreams are gone. They're crushed. And for two months, she goes up and down into the mountains weeping. Now, when that time is over, verse 39 says, she returned after two months and her father fulfilled his wicked vow. He made a burnt offering out of her. And it was such a horrific thing. Verse 39 and 40 said that it became the custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah. Every uh, year, the young girls would go into the mountains and mourn for what was lost through the wicked vow of Jephthah. When I was a young Christian, I would often hear things like this. Rusty, you don't need theology. You just need Jesus, bro. And I would say, yeah. <laughs> you don't need the church. You just need relationship with Jesus. And I would say, yeah. Well, none of those people are still walking with Jesus. <laughs> Bad theology leads to pain, no matter how emphatically it's said. Richard Baxter says it like this, the old Puritan. He says this, Consider all the dangers, 
difficulties, enemies you must get through in life. To persevere in the faith to the end. In this life, your safety depends on having a good guide. And then he says, imagine a narrow bridge over an unbelievably long canyon. And all your friends and all your happiness and all your dreams are on the other side. But you're here, and there's a snowstorm. And that little bridge is just swaying back and forth, back and forth. And the wind's howling, the snow's howling, the ropes are popping. You can picture it. And you've got a guide. How tightly would you hold on to the guide on the journey? That is the Word and the Spirit. Do you see that? The Word and the Spirit are God's guide to you to hold tightly in this life. Bad theology leads to pain. Examine every message given to you. Everyone you hear me preach, examine it. Every prayer spoken over you, no matter how emphatic and powerful and yelling or gifts of tongues and hands in the air, examine it. Every vision you might have, every parenting book given to you, or parenting advice, what you really should do is get that boy out back and spank him. Well, maybe. Every directive from your schools, every Instagram post, every text calling you to action, every word you hear and think by the word of our Father in heaven, that is your guide and strength in this life. And if Jephthah had done that, he would not have lost everything. This is where surrender and joy starts. Living under our Father's good will. This is where we are protected from the pain of bad decisions and sin in this world. And this is where we experience the amazing blessings of joy, of walking and living by grace, through faith, the righteous life that He calls us to live. Father, I praise You. Um, the Bible is full of people that are full of the Spirit and yet do foolish things. Sometimes wicked things. Rash things. Because they had a feeling. They had a fear. Every believer in this room has the Spirit. We're filled with it. It's, it's the promise. And I pray, I pray for every mind, every that when fear strikes it in this room and immediately we think, I need to go have a quiet time. I need to go to Sunday school. Lord, when those fears strike us and we think, I need to do religious things to bring you into favor, I pray, God, that our eyes would be set upon the cross, be set upon your work for us, be set upon the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. It would be set upon him continuously praying for us at the Father's right hand. It would be set upon the truth that we have the spirit, the mark that we are yours. Oh, Lord, and we'd be at peace and we'd be at rest and we'd respond in worship. Oh, God, let us be a people that do that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now. And if um, the elders would come down, I'd invite them to do that.